Welcome to a new season of Focused on Christ, where we are passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm your host, Mike Crump, here with the brand new 2024 model of Pastor Nathan Smith. Oh, man. Nathan. We're starting already? I mean, this is the first one? <laughs> yep, it sure is. I'm glad you finally made it into the studio for 2024. Um, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Mike, and welcome to you. Happy, oh, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Very excited about this year. Now, are you a New Year's resident? Resolution guy? No. Okay. Although I do have a new resolution this year. Okay. That started uh, five seconds ago. Really? <laughs> to respond better to Pastor Mike's persecution <laughs> of my innocence. Wow. Um, okay. Or maybe, maybe maybe to be kinder to Pastor Mike. That would that would be nice. You know? That would be nice. Oh, I've been praying that you would see that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've been praying for your repentance of persecuting the uh, the innocent, but. We are on to a good start here, I can tell already. We are. We are. Let's, let, let's get into it. So if, uh, if our listeners heard the teaser for this season, you're aware that this year we'll be specifically looking at theology, topics, and current events that revolve around the church. And Nathan, what excites you most about this focus for this year? Oh, you know, most questions or favorite are so hard for me because I get so, uh, yes. what is the best? I th- I'd say what, what some of my favorite things are the most, some of the things I'm really excited about mm-hmm. is just clarity. Yeah. Because in our culture today, I don't think a lot of people have an understanding of what the church is. And I'm talking about broader culture, yeah. but even inside the church. Yeah. So to be able to talk about the church and what it is and reclaim maybe an affection for mm. the church that is not derived from our experiences within the church. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Does it make sense? It does make sense. Because sometimes we define the church and we define our affection for the church based upon our experiences in the church, whether positive or negative. Mm-hmm. But if you can actually separate out your personal experience to what the church is mm-hmm. and what the church means, then it actually enlivens our affection and helps us to weather better yeah. the experiences that we will have yeah. that are both positive positive. And, and will negative. be negative as well. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And, and we even, I think we're talking yesterday just about how a lot of times people may be part of a church. They may even grow up in the church, but they've never taken the time to really consider what the church is supposed to be, how it's supposed to operate, yes. what the Bible says about it. And I know growing up, I was part of the church all my life, but I never really took that time or even was encouraged to take that time to study the church itself. Yeah. And so I'm excited about being able to do that together. Absolutely. And then looking at the redemptive narrative and how the people of Israel and the church and how mm. that those promises and how we are grafted in. Oh, there's so much beautiful theology yeah. in thinking what it means to be the church. Definitely. Now, alongside the topics about the church that we're going to be going into, we're also going to be starting each month with a look at our prayer and meditation focus for our church reading plan. Mm-hmm. Um, like last year, we're going to be going through the Bible, but this year we're doing it a little bit different, where we're encouraging people to take a passage of Scripture and really meditate on that and pray through that throughout a week. And so what would you say is the difference between meditating on a passage and reading a passage? Uh, yeah, when we, when we think about that, uh, reading through the passage and reading through the Bible in the year is such an important discipline mm-hmm. because it, it stores our minds full of the knowledge of Scripture, the, yeah. the narrative, so that when we are learning, we're able to connect the dots and we get to see the broad picture. Meditating is the discipline of looking at a specific passage mm-hmm. and asking about, what is God teaching me in this? Mm. Um, what does this mean? And to, to, to really soak it in and and, and just kind of let it marinate mm. on our souls, on our minds for an extended period of time. Yeah. And that becomes an important discipline. That So the Bible doesn't just become a book that we get through. Yeah but rather the living word that we stop and allow to speak to us. Yeah. 
I'm really excited about this this discipline that we're embarking on as a church of meditating mm. over key passages. And I think we we live in a world that I don't think takes time to contemplate much. Mm-hmm. You know, that deep, is true. Deeply, that is true. Um, because it's very easy. We're distracted by everything that's happening around us. We want to move from one thing to the next, and so to stop and to really take time to dig into and think and chew on passages almost feels a little difficult. I mean, because it it's like. I've already been here. I need to move on, right? Um, So we're encouraging people, take that time, stop, consider, like you're saying, marinate. I like that that terminology. Or or, or, or we don't stop time to consider because even if we do tend to think on a topic, Mm -hmm. take any topic that you want, but if if we stop to think on it, Often we come into it with what we already think about it oh, or our point. preconceptions yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, meditating on Scripture is stopping and saying, okay, I'm coming here with open hands. Mm. Now, Lord, speak to me. Yeah. Like, fill the hands. Instead of me coming to with a preconceived notion, I am stopping to listen, yeah. to receive, to get insight from God's Word through His Holy Spirit. Mm. Amen. That's a good point. Well, speaking of kind of coming to a book or a passage with preconceived notions, um, no doubt the people who have been in the scriptures or been in a church have heard of the book of Job and maybe even read through it before, or at least the beginning and the end, because that tends to be where we spend our time, because that middle is just long and tedious at and times. And people love to discuss the giants that came about as yes. demons and angels. Yes, um, that's right. The dragon that's in there as well. You know, <laughs> there's so much in the book of Job. Um, and that's actually where our passage for the prayer and meditation is this week, is uh, Job 38 and 39. Now, Job 38 and 39 are really God's first response to Job. And so before we get there, can you give us just a brief overview of the book of Job? What is happening here that leads to God's response? So when we look at Job, and I kind of said that tongue-in-cheek with the demons, the angels, and the giants, mm-hmm. uh, because in Genesis we have a reference to some of the the hidden veil spiritual world of mm-hmm. things going on. And um, Job is another insight into mm-hmm. some of the, the spiritual realm of what is going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And it begins in narrative, but then quickly shifts to poetry. And one of the reasons that Job can be very hard to read is that it is a long poetic book. Mm. It begins in narrative. It ends with God speaking. And that's where we kind of like to park. But Mm -hmm. all the chapters in between is, again, this long poetic expression of a man going through grief wrestling with interpersonal relationships as they're trying to, quote, counsel him through Mm -hmm. grief, and then him coming face-to-face with God, and then God kind of arresting without really giving all the answers. Like, God doesn't answer all the questions. He just basically says, I am God. Will Mm. you trust me? And, And so what we have at the beginning of the narrative is that Job loses his family in a tragic series of events behind the scenes. We know that Satan is behind it at the allowance of God, yep. so still under the providence and the sovereignty of God, and things get progressively worse. Job kind of accepts it at first. Then he moves into bitterness. Mm-hmm. He never rejects God, mm-hmm. but he does move into a bitter heart. Yes. And then God has to step in and say, all right, Job, let's take a look at the picture. Will you trust me mm-hmm. or are you just going to grin and bear this? Will you worship me even through your grief? Which yeah. is a, a really crazy thought. It really is. There's a difference between enduring grief and then worshiping God through grief and tragedy, which is where Job brings us. Yeah. And I think the way God responds in chapter 38 is really contrary to how many people, I think, view God in many ways. 
that yes, God is a comforter and God is seeking to bring joy and peace and that, that comes through Christ and we know that. But here we have Job who is wrestling through very real, tangible grief, who is very just very much struggling. And God in Job 38 comes to him and says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Why is God speaking to Job in this way? This seems to our very sensitive time frame and, and era, that seems very harsh and cruel. <laughs> um, if, you, if you read that passage in isolation, mm-hmm. then the answer is yes, uh, it may come across that way. But it really is important to note that God, by, by even recording all the chapters that went in before, yeah. this is God listening. Letting Job express himself, even Job expressing his grief, yep. even Job expressing his frustration. Mm-hmm. And here's God who's going to say, All right, now listen up. Are you ready to receive? Mm-hmm. Are you going to wallow in your grief or your bitterness? Or are you actually going to listen to me? Wow. So dress like a man. In yeah. other words, buck yourself up. Yeah, prepare yourself. And be ready to listen. Yeah. It's really a call to action. And and often we, we are in those points of life where we have to ask the question, am I going to wallow in my self-pity mm. or am I going to listen to God? Yeah. And that's what God's bringing to Job. Are you going to listen to me? And then he goes into this narrative, uh, well, really poetic narrative mm-hmm. of talking about creation, which is a funny turn, actually. It really is. And I want to get to that here in just a second. But I think it's important for us to understand that God's compassion and his like confrontation, like in this, are not mutually exclusive. Correct. God is a compassionate God, but yet at the same time, he knows that we need to be challenged. Because as you were talking about, if you look at Job earlier on, he's questioning God's goodness. There, there's a wrestling with God. Are you even here? Are you even mm-hmm. hearing me? Um, and God is like, here, I am here. Let me show you what this is about. But are you ready to listen to me? Yes. I mean, it's a question. Are you ready to listen to me? Are you done talking? Yeah. Are you ready to listen? Yeah. Even the meditating thing that we talked about through Pat, through Scripture, mm-hmm. sometimes we can read Scripture and just get information, information. Mm-hmm. But meditating does the practice of reading and then saying, all right, God, now speak. Yeah. So really it's, it's that same thing. Are you going to listen to God or are you just going to speak or talk over him or just race through it? Yeah. And what he's calling Job out to is, again, are you ready to listen? Yeah. So why creation? Because God immediately goes to creation and he, hey, where were you when I laid the foundation of the of the world? And then he goes into listing all of these amazing things that obviously Job has no understanding of, but yet God is ordaining and doing and working behind the scenes in creation. So why go there? When we look at grief and tragedy, some of the biggest questions that we wrestle with are why God and are you in control? Mm. Is this, is this just chaos? Yeah. Is, is this just something that is happening and you could have stopped it but didn't? Those are some of the biggest questions that people wrestle with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? And, and is God really, if there is God, then why is he doing what he's doing? Mm-hmm. And God is walking out creation, very visible illustration, uh, visual illustration, where he says that, I call the lightning to strike exactly where it's going to strike. I actually am there at the birth of a lion cub. Mm. I am, I mean, the very granular aspects of creation that seem, what is more chaotic than lightning? Actually, lightning is talked about several times throughout this passage. Oh, yeah, yeah. To us, lightning feels like total random chaos. Mm -hmm. It strikes just where the electrons connect from ground to 
to air mm-hmm. and forms a lightning bolt. But God says, in in that apparent chaos, I'm there. Mm. Like I actually called the strut lightning to where it was supposed to strike. Yeah. I call the sunrise. I am in control of everything. So what he is first doing is saying, you may not understand it, Job, mm. but I am in complete control. Yeah. And it's also an incredible statement because at the early part of Job, where God seemingly hands over to Satan um, this power to afflict Job, Mm -hmm. even that was not a release of sovereignty. That was completely under God's domain and control, which is there's some hard questions that come out of that, and I'm not going to belittle that. But why does he go to creation? Because it's a visual demonstration of how involved and how expansive God's power is. It's interesting, and and I'll here recently we had uh, the threat to you know Lynchburg where there was going to be this massive snowstorm, <laughs> right? And and there there is turmoil and there is chaos and bread and milk are disappearing off the aisles. Kroger made and, a lot of money and made a lot of money, and everybody's preparing, bunkering down. Weather forecasts are all over the place, and then nothing happens. And it's interesting because in my mind there are many times I think about this where God's like. Do you know, have you seen my storehouses of snow? Yeah. Well, I'm not unleashing them on Lynchburg today. Right? I know, it's like I know. He is the one who's ultimately in control. And there's great comfort in that, even when there is, like you say, it, it appears chaotic at times, but yet our God is sovereignly over these things, working all things together for his good. Yes, and, and I know it, this sounds kind of funny and trite, but because that theology is so foundational even to who I am, I wanted snow. Yeah. So I actually prayed that prayer about two days ago. I was like, hey, Lord, um, if it's fine if not, but would you bring us snow? Yeah. If you, yeah. You, you do indeed store up the snow, give us a beautiful snow. But if not, you know what you're doing. Yeah. And so he chose to withhold the snow and chose instead to bring rain yeah. and ice. And I'll ask him one day why. <laughs> Well, even you know, the ice didn't appear, though. That, that was the thing. I was like, I want to go slipping and sliding at least, but no, nothing. That's you know, true. It was nothing. very, very low. So this, we're kind of talking about something that then is mentioned later on in Job. Um, actually, I think it's earlier in Job, where it says, God, God is, again, speaking to Job, he says, Who has put wisdom in the inward parts of, or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? And we see it does land on this wisdom of God, a wisdom that is greater than ours, an understanding that is greater than ours. Why is wisdom and trusting in God's wisdom so crucial during those times of suffering and pain? Uh, Because we don't know what to do. I mean, one of of the things, if someone goes through extreme grief, um, their mind is totally, uh, frankly, it's it's like taking... uh, just throw it up in the air, taking the chaff, throw it up in the air. You don't yeah. know what to do, know where to begin, know what to think. Um, and so when you're sitting with someone in grief, often you're just sitting there to listen mm. and then to help lovingly guide because they're struggling to think for themselves. Mm. And so where is that wisdom? Where is that guidance coming from? Well, here's God who sits above it all, but also is in it all. Yeah. And he knows he has the demonstrated power to do whatever he wants, but he also has, this is so important. Yeah. He doesn't just have the power over the thunder and the lightning. Mm. He also has the wisdom Mm. to actually hold it together and actually to cause creation to act in an ordered way. The sunrise, the nature, uh, the weather systems, these are not just random events. They are a delicate balance of providence Mm. that keeps our creation functioning as it should. So if God has the wisdom to maintain 
all the intricacies, microsecond by microsecond by microsecond, every single day across the broad expanse of the universe, he has the wisdom to deal with the intricacies of our tragedy. Amen. And that's kind of the, if this, then that. Yeah. And that's a wonderful comfort. Yeah. And that's ultimately where we see Job end up, is God, like you said, he doesn't give the answer to why. He doesn't give Job's answer mm-hmm. to, well, here, here's the reason, well, Satan came, and this is this is what I said to him. And it, God doesn't give him any of that background. He just lets it stand with, I am mighty. Yes. And I am the authority. And are you going to trust me? That That's ultimately the, the final thing, right? Thank you for bringing that out, actually, because... As far as we understand, probably after the fact, God seemingly gives revelation to Job about what was going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But at least early on, uh, we don't really know if Job knew mm-hmm. the background dynamics because, you know, one of the famous things is that he says the Lord has given, the Lord has taken, taken away. away. And he attributes that to God, not mm-hmm. to Satan. Yeah, Like he understands the providence and the sovereignty is at the hand of God. And it wasn't the instrument. Satan may be the instrument, mm-hmm. but it was God who ultimately was in the driver's seat. Yeah. So this is primarily a thing between God and Job. And God does not put this off on Satan like, mm-hmm. well, it's really his fault and I had nothing to do with it. Yep. No, God says, I am good. I am perfect. And I'm so good and sovereign that I'm able to use evil mm. without being stained by it. Yeah. And in this case, I'm using it in a way to draw you to myself and to teach you about myself. Will yeah. you listen? Those are deep truths, Mike. Yeah. And, and I, I want to say to anybody listening out there, the question of good and evil mm-hmm. and how it exists under the sovereignty of a good God, those are big and tough questions. Yeah. So we have to take what Scripture says at face value, and that is God is good, perfect, holy. There is nothing evil in him. Yeah. But he's also good enough and sovereign enough to be able to pawn Satan, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's not God and Satan arm wrestling. Nope. Satan is totally under God's thumb. And he can use Satan without being stained by his evil to accomplish his good purposes. What a glorious thought. It really is a glorious thought. And now with that thought in mind, let's just transition real quick as we come to a close. What does that power, that authority, that wisdom, how does that affect our understanding of the church? Because we're going to be talking about the church. That's going to be the focus of a lot of our podcasts. Why is it important for us as a church, as followers of Christ— to grasp this truth about God? If we believe, and I hope we do as believers, 1 Timothy 3, that we are the household of the living God. We we are under the purview and parentage of the living God. And this living God has the power and the wisdom to hold creation together, Mm. but also to hold us through our tragedies and even griefs then as the church of God, we have a foundation that cannot be shaken. Amen. We have a community that is built upon something that is much greater and bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And so the, the head of the church is not a human being. It's not even a community. It is this very God mm. who in one hand holds creation together and in the other hand is able to guide us through the deepest and darkest places of our life. Amen. And that's a wonderful comfort. It is. And so desiring that wisdom from a God who has ordained creation and put all these things to work and stores the snow and the lightning. He also has wisdom and guidance for us for the church, Mm. both from a purpose standpoint and also from a structural standpoint. Mm -hmm. And where do we find that? God's word. God's word. 
That's right. And practically, that is why we Sunday after Sunday get up and read God's Word. Amen. And preach it and talk about it and memorize it and study or read it together like we're doing in the meditation. Yeah. And so we would encourage everyone as we continue to move forward in these discussions that uh, you just be in prayer about for God to reveal to us a greater understanding of who he is in his church. Amen. And that we would uh, rightly understand his church so we can really live out the great commission as he's called us to. Amen. Well, Nathan, thank you again for joining me. It's a joy to begin once again another season of Focused on Christ, and I'm looking forward to our discussions. Likewise, Mike. Well, thank you all for listening to Focused on Christ, and I hope you'll join us next week when we ask the question, what is the church? And we'll be considering Christ's purpose for his people. If you've been encouraged by this episode and want to consider maybe giving us a five-star rating, we would love that. That way other people can hear about this podcast. If you ever have questions about something we share, a theological topic or scripture passage, you can email us at questions at focusedonchrist.com or visit us online at focusedonchrist.com. Dot com.